Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Hello, guys and dolls, cool cats and kittens, and nifty nuclear families. It is time for another swell episode of Whining About History, the super-duper women's history podcast where two dreamboat gals talk about women from history you probably didn't learn in school, but to be fair, those duck and cover drills were critical. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And if you couldn't tell, we have a little bit of a theme going on. So for our regular listeners, you are listening to a special Patreon video episode, Uh, so our Patreon for as little as $1 a month get access to the video recording of this. All the hand motions. (laughs) And for all these episodes, we pick a dress theme. And this week is 50s Fancy and Feminist. Woo! Kelly has her cute-ass little sailor dress on from the... I think last time I said it was from the Betty Page or Davis store. It's Betty Page. Who yep, was like this, page. like model BDSM fucking hey, goddess? You're, you're within range of your headphones. You can actually stand up. Oh shit! Time. I am okay. So I'm wearing my cute little polka dot dress that I got in Scotland. Yeah, she looks adorable. We're all fifty housewife over here. Yes, I got my pearls, and I even I'm gonna move my headphones really quick. I tried to do some like faux victory curls. And it did not work. I try. I watched a tutorial, and I was like, "Oh, this is actually a lot of effort." Yeah, like victory rolls are like who thing. had the time? My yeah, God, time. yeah, I, you couldn't work exactly. All you had to do was look good. Did I ever tell you? So, like uh, shows like Leave It to Beaver that were so popular in the fifties showed uh, it was a was it June. Cleaver was the mom yeah I think so so she would be vacuuming in a dress kind of like mine with her pearls and just looking like in fucking heels and my mom grew up watching that and she's like my mom doesn't do that what the fuck is wrong with my family no the cleavers were fucked up okay in real life she would have a domestic alcoholism problem and they wouldn't they would like never have sex and their children would grow up depressed and neglected so yeah yeah, I bet the dad would be a dick too. Um, anyway, this note, isn't about what that. What wine are we drinking? <laughs> All right. Well, today we are drinking some late harvest Viognier. I don't know if I'm saying that right. I actually didn't realize that was what the it. wine was. I was looking. I was like, well, this is the only thing that sounds like it could be the wine. Ooh. So this is uh the halo effect. It's from uh Strathbogie Ranges, west of Australia. So I'm probably pronouncing everything incorrectly buckle up australia it's gonna get real cringy (laughs) all right so god there's a lot written on the back of this and it's like really tiny text okay she's getting old guys (laughs) hold on let me get on my reading glasses this was the time for those like little glasses necklace things what are those called glasses necklaces yeah just rolls right off the tongue I saw those in a store the other day. I, I actually like, bought some when I, I was a kid for some. my sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> the only time I think about needing them is when I'm like at an amusement park and then I'm like on a roller coaster going, shit, I really should have that thing that goes around the back of my head in case I lose uh, my glasses. All right. The Halo Effect, a 2018 Late Harvest Viognier. The fruit of this wine has grown on the Carrillo Gardener's Bor- oh, I should have read this before I started. Shit. Barula Vineyard in the Strathbogie Ranges in central Victoria. 
The grapes were left to hang and get incredibly ripe. The juice rich and thick like nectar. Mm. About half dirty. <laughs> dirty. It do- it sounds really inappropriate. I love it. Keep going. About halfway through ferment, we chilled the wine to stop the yeast before all the sugar had been converted into alcohol. Mm, dirty, dirty girl. The wine has matured in the new French oak barrels for 12 months. That's longer than it takes to make a human being. This better be good fucking wine. The result is a wine with a lovely soft gold color and an aroma of sweet spices and summer fruits, including apricots. On the palate, the wine is deliciously sweet, but with a talky tannins from the new oak, giving a drying sensation and balancing the sugar. This is serious dessert wine with around 170 grams of residual sugar. That was a weird... This was so sexy, and then it just, like, made me feel fat. (laughs) Shut up, wine. I hope you love it as much as we do. Cheers from Sam Plunkett. Well, Sam... We shall see. I, was, I smelled the wine when you were talking about it smells like apricots. I'm like, I don't know what apricots <laughs> Have I ever eaten an apricot? I don't think I have. All right. I do love the color of it, though. It looks, looks like a honey color. It does. It reminds me of a golden snitch. What are we cheersing to today? Um, let's cheers to it not actually being the 50s because the 50s were not a great sorry, time for a, a lot of people. So when you watch this video and I'm like, it's because there was a gnat like right here. Drink every time Kelly gets distracted by the bug or me. Chug your drink if it's me and you will get drunk immediately. Yeah, right. All right. Cheers. cheers. Good clink. What oh, is very thick. Ooh, you're right. That thick nectar. I feel like a honeybee. Oh, my God. It's not this as really good. Like, it is sweet, but it's not like that like in your face sweetness that I was kind of expecting when they yeah. were like it has this much sugar in it it's a very like smooth and yeah I get what they're saying with the like the drying agent because it's still a very yeah, dry it's, it's a sweet dry wine it's yeah but it's really good. mellow I'm digging this because I, I thought it was gonna be like you know sometimes you get those Moscatos where they're like so sweet yeah, it's, it's like, like a sugar cube assaulted yeah. you yeah no this is really good it is really good do you have to say their name this week um, I do not. You yeah, don't either. That's okay. That's okay. There's too much. I'll else. say There's two other things. Too much you going listeners. on. In the world. Yeah, our patrons out there. Yeah, you in the all red. of you. We love you. Okay, that was inappropriate. I apologize. <laughs> I never apologize. <laughs> Kelly's never. Kelly never does anything she's gonna regret. <laughs> not never. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. She does things she should regret. But she just I never just don't does. Really live with regret. There's just, we don't have enough time. <laughs> no regrets. <laughs> I would kill myself oh. if I got that tattoo. Oh Not my really. god! I would probably just go get it laser removed. But I would be so mad. You wouldn't have to, because I'd kill you. What? Yeah, right. <laughs> I would make the tattoo artist pay for the removal. Yeah. Although oh my the usually, god. especially when there's words, like when I got my one on my back, like he made me read it, and then he made me read it like six more times because he was like. I am putting this permanently on your body. Double check that everything is spelled right. right. And then double check that you double checked that everything is spelled right. Right. Jesus Christ. Can can you imagine finishing a tattoo and then finding it's just riddled with spelling errors? But I mean, I think any responsible tattoo artist, yeah, has the customer double check because then at that point it is no longer the, the tattoo artist's fault because they had you double check. And if you missed it, 
It's your own fault. I totally do that with clients where I'm like, like, will the whole team will check it and then we give it to the client to check. And then if there's a mistake, hey, you checked it. You approved this. Right. Like, we did our best. OK, there were like 80 eyes on this and we all missed it. Exactly. So, yeah. Sorry. Right. So today I'm covering Jackie Mitchell. I do not. This is our first episode. Is she an athlete? She is, actually. Okay, I I have a weird thing. I feel like like a lot of athletes are named Jackie. Yeah, it is. Because there's there's Jackie Robinson, uh, Jackie Rudolph. I don't know. I just feel like every time I hear about a Jackie, they're an athlete. And this, it works. It's true. I gave a thumbs up, but you couldn't see it behind my computer. Um, so Jackie Mitchell was born August 29th, 1913. So just, you know, a few, like a month ago, but many years ago. Yeah. She was born in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Woot, woot. I I love the name Chattanooga because then it makes me think of the Chattanooga Choo Choo. I don't know what that is, but it makes me think and of I know, I just realized I went woot, woot, and I'm like, it kind of sounded like I went choo, choo. <laughs> Choo-choo! <laughs> um, so she was born to Virna and Dr. Joseph Mitchell. And as soon as she was learning how to walk, her father was taking her to the baseball diamond and actually taught her the basics of the game, even though she was a girl. Um, and her next door neighbor named Dazzy. Dazzy! Yep, Dazzy Vance. <laughs> Names who, we should bring back. <laughs> Dazzy Vance, who I believe pitched in his own right in baseball, I think. I don't know. I didn't go this into isn't Dazzy's story. story, you guys. Um, but he taught her how to pitch and showed her his drop ball, which is a type of throwing, I guess. It's like a type of ball. Sports ball. Sports ball. It says a type of breaking ball, but that doesn't, like, I put that in my notes, but that actually, like, it's a type of fastball, I think, that kind of okay. drops at the end, obviously. Okay. Cool. Cool. We know sports. Oh, it does say right here. Dazzy was a major league pitcher and would eventually be an in- inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. So Good for Dazzy. But Dazzy 2020. <laughs> Dazzy's probably dead. Oh, probably. <laughs> um, so uh, this is around the turn of the century, obviously, 1913. And women athletes were starting to gain the ability to really be competing with men. And they were sometimes playing on the same teams in bygone semi-pro leagues during this time. However, the f- the first woman to appear in baseball's minor leagues was Lizzie Arlington, who wore bloomers while pitching for the Reading Coal Heavers in Pennsylvania. I'm sorry, the what? The Reading, which is a town in Pennsylvania. So the Reading wait, Coal wait. Heavers. Wait, no, no, no. Do you mean Reading, like Reading Railroad, which I always thought was Reading Railroad until I got schooled by a nine-year-old who was obsessed with Monopoly and bought a book to try to cheat? <laughs> Is it really Reading? Because it's spelled I, like Reading. No, 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 no. I so I mean, here, write to us if we're wrong. Growing up, I always thought it was Reading Railroad on Monopoly, and then I heard later it's actually Reading because it's na- it's like How named after a town. Monopoly? Is that how you want our friendship to end over a game we of play Monopoly? Like pug Monopoly, because then What's- it's just cute. Oh, it's, Monopoly, it's like but with pugs. Okay, I was like, is that a certain set? Of roles? I own like three sets of the game because we own pugs, and people just keep buying it for us. <laughs> 
I Anyone want that. a game of Pug Monopoly? <laughs> I'll send it to you. We should have a contest, and the prize is going to be I a copy sign, of Pug Monopoly sign signed by both of us. No, so I used to uh, work with a couple of kids, and one of them was in Mensa, even though he was like a tiny child, and he wow. was super, super obsessed with Monopoly. So I would play with him and his younger brother, and I of like course, bought a book to try. And well, he didn't buy. buy he he borrowed it from the library, and it had like the professional rules of Monopoly because apparently this is a game that can be played professionally supposedly the professional rule of monopoly is if you're not paying attention and you and if you're not paying attention and someone lands on your square and you don't say anything they don't have to pay you oh no no no! and that's how this kid was playing so he read the book and decided to whip out these new professional rules with me and his younger brother who had no idea what was going on. So while his brother was like trying to decide if he should buy something, the older brother was like counting down in his head for the, you know, appropriate amount of time and then just takes the property. And the little brother was like, what the actual fuck is going on? Not really. They're children. But he's like, well, if you don't decide in 30 seconds, you forfeit and anyone can take it. And I had to like bring the nanny hammer down like I don't care what that book says I am the overlord of this game (laughs) you don't get to whip out rules without telling the rest of us okay like so it's either the reading or reading real reading or reading Pennsylvania one of the two they were called the the Redding coal heavers coal heavers I love it they were playing against the Allentown peanuts wait like the the cartoons like Charlie Brown peanuts I don't know okay um, but this was in 1898, so she was the first woman to compete in the semi-pros or the, the minor leagues of baseball. But this isn't about her. So Wait, the, what? This is No, because that was Lizzie Oh, that Arlington. was Lizzie. Oh, my God. We just went on a totally useless tangent about uh, both, the wrong yeah. woman. <laughs> so back to Jackie. At 17, she began playing for the... Ingalets, which is a woman's team based in Chattanooga, and actually went on to a tra- went on to attend baseball training camp in Atlanta, Georgia. In doing so, she was able to attract the eye of Joe Ingle, who had recently become the president and owner of the Chattanooga Lookouts. So that was like her local team. I love all these baseball team names. What would our baseball team name be? We have the St. Saint Paul Saints. No, no, like, no, no. I mean, oh, we have the honkers. No, no, no. no. I mean, like Ours? you and I. It would be the funerary cult. The funerary. <laughs> I've decided that's what our girl gang is called. We were trying to think of a name for our girl gang, and I'm like, why don't we just call it the we funerary cult? We are the funerary cult. cult. Welcome to the funerary cult, patrons. We love you. We love you. Yes. Carry on our legacy and our story of wine and women. Yep. So. This guy, Joe Ingle, was known for using publicity stunts as a way to draw crowds to his baseball games because this is the Great Depression. So he needed something. Yep, because everyone's super bummed um, out. Seeing Mitchell as a female pitcher, uh, she, he was like, all right, I need her on my team. You know, she'll draw crowds. So he signed her to the team on March 25th of 1939, and she appeared in her first professional game on April 2nd, becoming only the second woman to play in organized baseball. You know what this reminds me of? That episode of Futurama where Leela, because she has she's a cyclops and has yep. one eye, she uh, hits everyone she pitches to. And then there's an act. And so she becomes the first female to play professional yeah. blurns ball but she plays because she's terrible yeah and they use it as like a publicity that's what's going yeah. on Except and she's then there was an good. actual player jackie 
I don't remember what the character's name I was, but it was Jackie something. Her. It might be because that's what this sounds like. Who then became a player and like took Leela down, and that's then funny. so Leela was inducted in the first into the Hall of Fame as the first woman's Blurns ball player, and then Jackie was inducted as the first woman's bur- woman Blurns ball player who is actually good. That's funny. <laughs> Ooh. Sorry, I shifted the table. It's going down. I'm, I'm yelling. yelling. Oh, Timber. shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So she's only 18, 1931. She's oh, my only God. 18. So the same year that she was inducted to play, uh, her manager also booked them to play against the Yankees for two exhibition games um, as the as the Yankees, which were a major league baseball team, in case you don't know, were traveling north for spring training. So they're work- they're working their way north and the guy was like, "Hey, you're going to be nearby, come play my team." So a week before their their arrival, he announced that he had signed he had announced that he had signed Jackie and she's believed to be the first professional baseball contract given to a woman. So yes, Lizzie played, but they think this is the first time that anyone actually like gave her a contract and was like, "All right, you're on our team." Okay. You know? They they made it like Facebook official. Exactly. The prospect of this young girl facing the mighty Yankees generated a huge amount of media, obviously, and most of it was super condescending. One paper wrote, quote, the curves won't all be on the ball. God damn. Okay. Or, or this one, when pretty Jackie Mitchells takes the mound. This is another one. Wait, when pretty Jackie Mitchells yeah. takes the mound? Yeah. That's not even That's not clever. even condescending. The yeah, first know, right? one was at least a little clever. Do, do you ever hear something? Uh, another reporter said, quote, that she has the swell swell change of pace and swings a mean lipstick. Jesus I do like Christ. That one. Okay. Do you ever hear something really shitty and sexist, but it's clever it's enough? Clever where you're, you're like, like mm. I can't be mad. I uh okay, you're so a little bit mad. Scotland story. I went out to a club one night when I was staying abroad in Scotland. And I went home with this guy because he had a sleeve of anime tattoo. Mm. Yeah, so uh nothing happened. All we just cuddles. hung out. All the cuddles. No, yeah, basically, because literally his bed lifted up. It was one of those storage beds, and it was just, like, covered in manga. I was like, oh, my God. And so we just, like, geeked out all night. I'm just going to read all of this, and you can sit next to me if you want to. Yeah, yeah, basically. And then we even, like, went on to uh, went on to the uh, roof of his flat and looked at the Edinburgh skyline. It was very pretty. And then one of his my story so hard, wasn't it? One of his neighbors actually thought we were burglars, and that kind of sucked. But anyway... His friend, who was also at the club, texted him, and he sees the text. He goes, oh, my God. I was like, what is he? He goes, no, no, no. I I, I, I don't want to say. I was like, no. Now you really have to like, tell you me. Can't you do can't this. fucking do that, okay? You have to tell someone. You can be ashamed about it, but you have to say it. And the text said, did you bang the stars and stripes out of her yet? And I just oh, sat there and I'm like, really good. I want to be mad. I super should be mad, but that's fucking funny because I was an American in Scotland. Yeah, that's actually really funny. Yeah, it that was, was clever. Yeah, touche, so random Scottish forever. Boy, I love that. And I still tell that story because I'm like, it's sexist, it's that's shitty, funny. but it's funny as hell. <laughs> so unfortunately, she kind of played into the stereotype. She was she was wearing like she wore the standard uniform. It was a little bit baggy on her because she was tall and slim and a girl. You know, um, however, she did go on to pose for cameras as she warmed up, taking out a compact mirror mirror and powdering her nose. Oh, my God. Like, 
the, like I'm like okay good for you like but at the same time I'm like really well and like that's not even on her that's just kind of what they were doing at the time and right. I, I, I kind of like that though because it's I can be feminine and Sorry. also kick all y'all's asses exactly so the New York Yankees and the Chattanooga Lookouts were scheduled to play on April 1st 1931 however it rained real bad that day and so it was postponed until April 2nd April Fool's it's not <laughs> happening <laughs> Jackie was brought in to pitch during the first inning by the lookouts manager after the, the starting pitcher gave up a double and a single. So, like, he wasn't doing great. They were like, all right, let's switch out for Jackie. So sh- they sent Jackie out to the mound to face what was known as the, the fearsome part of the Yankees lineup that had become known as Murderer's Row. What? It consisted of Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. Oh, shit. So, okay. So it was just like their lineup that was all, even if you don't know sports, you, you know, know these those names. Two. Like it was their heavy hitters, their people that aren't going to miss, you know. Now, granted, I know Babe Ruth for being a famous hot, or almost said hockey. Holy shit. My Minnesota is showing for being a famous baseball player. I know Lou Gehrig's for a disease. Yep. More but so. he was a baseball player. Tragic, well. tragic, sad. So first up was Babe Ruth, who tipped his hat to the girl on the mound and quote, Assumed an easy batting stance. That's what a reporter wrote. Bitch. Right. Jackie went through her motions, winding up her her arm as though she was turning an old-fashioned coffee grinder. And then with a sidearm delivery, she threw her trademark sinker. Ruth let the ball pass, and Jackie's second... O- so that was a ball. Jackie's second offering to Ruth, he swung and missed the ball by a foot. He missed the next one, too, and asked the umpire to inspect the ball. <laughs> Then with the count, I can't be sucking. It has to be the ball. The ball's broken. Then guys. with the count of one, two, so one ball, two strikes. Ruth watched Jackie's pitch catch the outside corner of the strike zone and called for strike three. Flinging his bat down in disgust, he retreated down back to the dugout. So she just struck out Babe Ruth. You know what? I think he just needs to take a chill pill and get his emotions in check because baseball is no place for hurt feelings right. and that kind of show of emotion. This so is next, a man's game. Except the plate was Lou Gehrig, who had bat a point three four in 1931, which is real good. And he would actually tie Babe Ruth for the league lead in homers. So, like, he was right up there with Babe Ruth. He swung at and missed three straight pitches. Oh, shit. (laughs) Um, However, Mitchell ended up walking the next batter, and the managers pulled her out of the game after just three people. The Yankees would go on to win 14 to 4. I bet they wouldn't have won if they left. I was going to say, she just struck out Babe Ruth, who threw a goddamn tantrum, and Lou Gehrig. And then she. And they're like, oh, okay, we're we're done here. We didn't think you were actually going to be good at this. Like, like it seems right? like they kind of nuked her. Exactly. Hold Dumb. On. I want to get an air horn for every time like someone pulls bullshit like that to just like call them on. Like, right. bah, fuck off. Girl pitcher fans Ruth and Garrick read the headline in the next day's sports page of the New York Times beside a picture of Jackie in uniform. The editorial of the paper added, the prospect grows gloomier for misogynists. Oh, my God. Well, obviously, like, if women are good, they're going to start entering the sport. Yeah. I, I love that they were, like, calling out misogynists, though. Right. They're like, hey, if you're a woman hater, fuck off. They also grabbed an, a quote from Babe Ruth, who said, quote, I don't know what's going to happen if they begin letting women in baseball. Of course, they will never make good. Why? Because they are too delicate. It would 
kill them to play ball every day. Are you fucking serious? Just like their uteruses will fall out if they ride a bicycle. I'm sorry. Did she die after she struck your bitch ass out, babe? You're Um, a candy bar. Fuck off. However, the commissioner, Kennesaw Mountain Landis, who was the baseball commissioner at the time, seemed to agree. And it was widely reported. God, I feel dark. Drink every time Kelly yawns. It was widely reported, though no proof exists, that he voided Jackie's contract on the grounds that baseball was, quote unquote, too strenuous for a woman. Can everyone fuck off kindly? Like, if you would please just do, 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 and off the cliff. Like, you know, here, here's the thing. There, there's always this talk about the the physiology between men and women who's stronger who's better at this who's better at that blah 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 and here's the thing it really depends on the individual like maybe if you have a male athlete and a female athlete who are training at the same level every day maybe there's like an inherent uh advantage to men in some areas like i don't even know their muscles are slightly different and blah 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 blah. right there is but there's slight advantage but it's not if the women trains just the same as the men, she will be just as good as the men. But like, let's just remember where a lot of this ideology comes from. It's it's men telling women you can't because you're a woman and because right. you're weaker and because your uterus is going to fall and because you'll die if you strike out Babe Ruth again. And then history is full of these women breaking those physical barriers and men still being like, yeah, but uh, like, right. I'm. T- it's so fucking dumb. Drink. <laughs> so Jackie, I'm gonna make you self conscious about it. I'm so I'm sorry. Self conscious about it. <laughs> Jackie's unusual baseball career wasn't over. In an era before televised games, uh, in a time where blacks as well as women were unofficially barred from the major league baseball. A troop of traveling teams barnstormed the nation. We've talked about barnstorming before. Have we? Yep, in one of my other episodes. What is Basically, it? barnstorming is a version of sports mixed with, like, vaudeville and circus acts. Oh, okay. Uh, Was the tiger sperm lady into yeah, we, that? Yeah, okay. we talked about... Yeah, that was so bad. Anyways, so God this damn. was a quote. Quote, <laughs> there were teams of fat men, teams of one-legged men, blind teams, and all brother teams. Who was a, that was by Tim Wiles, who was a director of research of the Hall of Fame. Some teams didn't just play standard baseball either. They would perform sleight of hand tricks, similar to the Harlem Globetrotters, um, or ride animals onto the field while playing. I want to see a game of baseball played on horseback. That might be polo. Well, or is that horse soccer? Polo is like golf mixed with riding horses. See, I thought it was more like soccer. Yeah. No, you're right. It is like soccer, but they because that yeah because they they go back and forth and they like judge and then they release a bunch of foxes in there and then the doves Uh, and that's no. I'm making this up, but polo is a made up game, so it's fine. (laughs) Don't stifle my creativity. Uh, so what's one such team that was out there during this time was called the House of David. God damn. <laughs> Which was named for a religious colony in Michigan that sought to gather the lost tribes of Israel in advance of the millennium. It sounds like a cult. Right. <laughs> like So due to their beliefs and stuff. Everyone that played for them, which was mostly men, had shoulder length hair and like biblical beards because they like didn't Love believe it. in cutting So it's their just hair. like a bunch of little white Jesuses running around. Yeah, basically. 
Um, over time, this colony started recruiting other players from outside their community. Um, and one of those signed Jackie Mitchell. So they signed Jackie Mitchell, who was then 19. Um, and she began playing um, with the House of David. She had been with other amateur che- teams since outing the Yankees. But now this was kind of like where she landed. Uh, she was chaperoned by her mother um, and traveled with the team. And in one game... Pitched against the Major League St. Louis Cardinals, which is pretty cool. I've heard of that team. That means they're pretty famous because I don't know baseball. And according to the news report, quote, the nomadic House of David ball team, beards, girl, pitcher, and all, came, saw, and conquered the Cardinals eight to six. So they actually won. Beards, girl, pitcher, and all. Yep. Sometimes just for extra publicity, Jackie would even wear a beard to be funny. That's hilarious. I love it. Please tell me she also whipped out her compact and like powdered her beard. That would be even better. Little else is known of Jackie's time with the House of David team. She went on to retire in 1937 at only the age of 23 after becoming furious since her story about playing baseball was now being used as something of a sideshow. She was once even asked to pitch while riding a donkey. Okay, so I was close about the horse baseball. It was just a bunch of jackasses. Okay, uh, that that's got to be so frustrating oh, yeah. though because she's like she's I just really want to play good. baseball and I'm good at it. And it, because she it and she's turned into yeah this novelty for no reason other than the fact that she's a woman, right? And it's like I struck out Luke Gehrig and Babe Ruth. Fuck everyone. And right. and this is one of those things I've always seen sports as this really great place for diversity to triumph because if someone's really good, you can't deny it. You know, right. like there's you think this, you, you think, but you can't. It's like, no, 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 no. She, she was too powerful for them. She's like, oh, shit. She struck out our best guys. We can't let this stand. And they nuked yeah, her. Exactly. So she retired and she actually refused to come out of retirement when the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League was formed in 1943, which if you've seen a movie, A League of Their Own, yeah! that's what it's based on. They were all lesbians and it was awesome. A good chunk <laughs> of them were, yes. Um, we posted about our Facebook. You should follow us there. However, Major League Baseball um, in the fo- in uh, nine years later would go on to formally ban the signing of women to contracts in June of 1952. That has since been repealed. And in recent decades, women have gained a degree of acceptance playing alongside men. In the 1970s, a lawsuit won girls' entry into Little League Baseball. And in the 1980s, women's broke into men's college baseball. And in the 1990s, Ella Borders joined the St. Paul Saints. <gasps> Callback, which is a minor league team. No female player has yet to reach the ma- majors or even come close to matching Jackie's feat of striking out two of the game's biggest hitters. Can you just imagine if she was like given a shot, what she would right? have done or who she could have competed with, but she was kneecapped. Exactly. Like, However, there are a lot of rumors, obviously, around her striking out Ruth and Garrick. Some people wonder if they they purposely missed you know, different, like, or if they did because it, it was all comedy. a big show. Exactly. Um, so the Lookouts president, Joe Ingle, who was, you know, the one that had signed Jackie, did sign her to attract publicity and sell tickets, which he did achieve. Some people say that it was hinted that Ruth and Gehrig put in, like, less than sincere effort. And New York Times actually wrote that he performed his role ably before striking out 
So what a convenient excuse too, though. Like you right. get struck That's, out I by a girl yeah. and it's like, oh, but like that was the, that was the deal. It was, that was the plan. I did right. it on purpose. Um, I fucked up on purpose. Some people also think that because the game had originally been scheduled for April 1st, it was supposed to be like a April Fool's prank. Like, oh, girls can strike out. Just kidding. April Fool's. Um, however, if Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig if they did fake it, they never said. Like, they never went on record saying it was oh. or wasn't. Um, other Yankee players have left mixed verdicts. Like, when interviewed, their pitcher, Lefty Gomez, said that their manager, Joe McCarthy, was so competitive that he wouldn't have instructed the Yankees to strike out. They're like, no, they wouldn't let our guys do that. Yeah, um, like, why would you have your two-star players, who are household names even now, be quote unquote dethroned by a woman even as a joke like right. Jackie for her part held the belief her entire life that she had whiffed the two Yankees she said the only instruction the Yankees had received was to try to avoid lining the ball straight back at the mound for fear of hurting her and her uterus may have yeah. fallen out well I mean her it boobs does would have hurt to get smacked in the head by well baseball. I'm not denying yeah, that exactly. quote why hell they would try and damn right she said of Ruth and Gehrig not long before her death quote Hell, better hitters than them couldn't hit me. Why would they be any different? Sorry, I kind of like, like fell into a weird Southern accent right there. That's the Chattanooga, Tennessee accent right there. I don't even know what I'm doing right All now. Right. So my notes copied themselves a third time. Is that why you have like 20 pages yep. of notes? Hold on. I thought we were going to be here forever and ever. So either the first dog barking was Joe and now this is pizza <laughs> or vice versa. Yeah. If you guys can hear that, the pugs have been freaking out for about 50% of this episode. Sorry. And that's because we have pizza and a Joe being delivered. Yeah, Joe. Ho, Joe. He's a friend Poor of ours. Peaches. Don't worry about it. I call him Peaches. Oh, little Peaches. Um, Georgia Peaches. Chattanooga Peaches. That's what they're famous so, for, right? Yeah, sure. Uh, I have no idea. I've never been to Chattanooga. I've never been to Tennessee, period. Um, <laughs> so not only did she he hold this belief, but she also saved a newsreel of her outing, which shows her hitting the strike zone on three consecutive pitches to Babe Ruth. On two of them, Babe fl flails wildly at the ball, and his fury at the called third strike does look a bit theatrical. However, this was 1913. The images are far too blurry to tell how much speed it w was in it. And how much sync that she had on her pitches and how, like, to tell if it was one way or the other. Like, obviously, like, the film was not very good back then. Though, So, Deborah Shattuck, who's the historian of women's baseball, is still skeptical, though. She thinks that while Jackie may have been a good picture, pitcher, she, quote, really doubts that she could hold her own on that level. Well, Deborah, I think you're wrong. Deborah, I 100% her story had canon. Jackie def definitely struck those men out. Deborah, God bless you for the work that you're doing into women's sports and herstory sports, but I kindly disagree with you. Right. What I love Jackie's is Jackie's a queen. Tim Wiles, who I mentioned before is the Baseball Hall of Fame research director, thinks that it actually could have been possible. He says, quote, much of battling, batting, not battling, batting has to do with timing and the familiarity with the pitcher and everything about Jackie Mitchell was unfamiliar to Ruth and Gehrig. Also, Mitchell was a lefty side-armed facing lefty batters, a matchup that almost always favors the pitcher. Um, and Ruth striking out wasn't a rarity. He did, he did so 1,330 times in his entire career. I love it. it's like, yeah, we always think of Babe Ruth as being like this invincible guy. He struck out like yeah. all the time, guys. Um, 
That's why he had to build his candy bar empire. Exactly. Tim Wiles also wonders if sports writers and players who suggested that the strikeouts were staged to protect the male egos. Quote, even hitters as great as Ruth and Gehrig would be reluctant to admit that they'd really been struck out by a 17-year-old girl. I think it's really telling. So I, I could totally see these two dominant male athletes being like, yeah, 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 no, it was totally staged. Like, don't fucking worry about it. But it's almost more telling to me that they didn't they say didn't anything. They didn't say exactly. shit. So it's like, well, I don't want to fucking real. lie about it. So I'm just not going to talk about it. Like, right. that that seems really telling to me. So other than that, once once she retired, she didn't really do much. She went to work, like, for her family's business. Uh, in 1982, she was invited to throw out the ceremonial first pitch for the Chattanooga Lookouts during their season opening. Um, and she died on January 7th, 1987 in Fort Oglethorpe, Georgia. All, all um, of the names, the people names, the team names, right. the city names in this story are she was buried back home in Chattanooga in the Forest Hills Cemetery. It didn't say how she died, so I'm assuming Old natural age. causes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the story of Jackie Mitchell. That looks like it should have been 10 pages, but it was probably only like six because my notes decided <laughs> to duplicate themselves. Uh, it was a story that needed to be told, and your notes were like, tell it. Tell it deeply and thoroughly and repetitively. <laughs> but yeah, I, over I, and over. I originally was like, I don't know if I want to like cover that because it seems like it'll be really short. But I was like, I think that's important to like bring it up and then bring up like no woman has played in Major League Baseballs. Baseball, yeah. not baseballs. <laughs> Sports balls. Sports balls. But like that's insane. And like, yeah, she was good and she got kneecapped and it's bullshit. Well, and I think what's interesting is sometimes these stories we tell, you know, so so she's notable for this one event. She went on and did other stuff, but this was kind of her, her yeah, magnum her, opus yeah. for her story. And but, she was 17, 18. Right. Like, that's insane. But it kind of gave us this realm to explore everything going around women in baseball and sports right. in general at the time. I learned a lot of stuff that I didn't know Good. about sports history so thank you so much for sharing you're welcome yeah like and unfortunately like i didn't really write a legacy section because yeah i'm like yes women have been re-inducted into a few things but i'm like they're still like it's 2020 and there are no women in baseball still yeah she doesn't have any stadiums named after her she doesn't have a team like or statue she does have like a small section like, I don't think they, I don't think any women have been officially, like, inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. I don't think so. I didn't really go into it. But I know, like, one article I read was talking about, yeah, like, how, this is funny. So the article I read was, like, the guy was like, oh, my son came home and told me about this woman batter that batted out Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. And the, the author was like, yeah, I didn't believe him. So, like, I started doing my research and found out it was true and then went to the Baseball Hall of Fame and they have, like, a little thing to her. And I'm like wow, like even people that are super into baseball don't know her story. That's wild. Well, like, yep, telling that story. Yeah. No, thank you very much for sharing. That's definitely one of those. So sometimes um, when we post All about our women, the women we cover on Instagram, I always use their name as hashtags. Yep. And sometimes I'll click on the hashtag and see like, how many people are actually talking about this? And yeah. for example, um, today, the day of this recording, November 6, 2020, is Mel- Michaela Monaster's birthday, and I covered her in some past episode. She was the Baroness yeah. of Badass who was attempted murdered on, but escaped an abusive family situation. Yeah, I remember that. Listen to it. It's awesome. Check it out. But I posted something about her, and I just happened to click on uh, the her hashtag link. of her yep. name, 
It's like five fucking posts about her name. And, and then these two of them are ours. He, like three of them are ours oh, <laughs> out of five or something. And then uh, Mabel Pinghua Lee, who we covered, yeah, uh, she was a, a Chinese suffragette who fought for the right for women to vote. Yeah. But we don't even know if she was able, ever able to cast her vote because as a Chinese woman, she was not. She the vote significantly later than everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like till the. 50s or 60s or so it was crazy but when we first covered her I'm not like taking credit for this when we first covered her there was like I could count how many posts about her with her name as the hashtag on one hand and especially with the 100 year anniversary there's and this this movement to acknowledge women who have been erased from history particularly women of color there's been a resurgence of interest in her story and so i was checking it out and i was like oh my god there's all this shit about mabel pingwali sorry dr mabel pingwali because she's a fucking doctor of economics that's a that's awesome yeah so it so that's that's, really cool and sharing that story is important like when we started and sharing some of these women and then like how much it's changed and like seeing her get more exposure now like that's exciting but yeah it, it makes me feel happy that it like it's not just I'm us just there's feel this like whole doing stuff and it's because of us that her name is now out it's a hundred percent because of us and you. <laughs> and you and you 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 <laughs> all right well guess what it's your turn it is my turn and today i'm going to be whining about nancy cunard mm, like very fancy name. i uh so she's a very fancy lady so i should tell this story with my pinky up the whole time but i will not i'll so, just sit like this for you yes <laughs> today's arm day and we're just gonna like i've lift noticed our wine i glasses. do that like on accident where like like glass even water glasses i hold like this and i'm like i used to do it when i was a kid and now it's like an involuntary reflex mm-hmm. where i'll stick my pinky well, out that's what i'm saying like it's not like i'm not it's actually like trying to be fancy i just it's where just i gotta what get I my do. pinky up as high as humanly possible it's funny all right so i have been listening to women of means by marlene wagman geller on audacity mm-hmm. audacity sponsor us because i'm digging your shit in which she profiles who she describes as quote Poor little rich girls who were blessed with the trappings of wealth and luxury, but ultimately found that money could not buy happiness. It's like when you like talk about something and you're like, first world problems. Yeah. First of all, it's it's a really fun listen because you're listening to, to people with problems that are equal parts relatable and fantastical because there's yeah. stuff about money and can you trust people and like oh well I pissed off mommy and now I'm out of the will and, ma- 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 ma. and you know my cousin is trying to get me right. disinherited but at the same time a lot of the like a lot of these human things of like finding love and trust and community in a world where everything is so superficial yeah. and so oh, yeah. weird you know it's it's a it's a good read. I highly recommend it. I'm not quite done with it. But each chapter profiles a different woman, and one in particular stood out to me. She's in chapter two. <laughs> also, I would like to say Emily's not reading. She's listening. I am listening. I said that at the beginning. I know. Yeah. But you just said the I one said, woman I read about. And I'm like, well, yeah. it's just easy. And you probably did a little extra research. I did. <laughs> just a little. Like one other article. Wikipedia. Wikipedia is my friend. So today I'm going to cover Nancy Cunard. I so love that last name. Sorry, I'm just gonna... It is a really nice name. So Nancy Cunard was born on March 10th, 1896, 95 days and six years before Kelly's birthday. <gasps> Yay. Birthday. Uh, she was the only child of Sir Banch. 
Bach, B-A-C-H-E, Bachy, Bachay. I don't know. Bachay. I like Bachay. We talk about him once. No one cares. Mr. Sir Cunard. With Boucher. the B name. Uh, who inherited his vast fortune as the heir to the Cunard shipping line fortune. The Lusitania was one of the Cunard ocean liners, which was infamously sunk by a German U-boat attack, bringing the United States into World War One. So Good job. that's their whole deal. They yeah. got ships and they're fancy and they have money. Nancy's mother, a draw-dropping beauty named Maud Burke, was also an heiress. So like Ooh. heir, heiress, Mary, lots of money. Just Lots swirling money, yeah. around constantly. At one point, Maud moved to London and changed her name to Emerald. So that's how I'll refer to her from here on out. And I mean, like, I want to move to London and change my name to Emerald. That sounds like Emerald. a perfectly normal like, decision. I might go for, like, Sapphire or something. I go for Amethyst because that's my birthstone. Yeah, mine's... I don't remember now. Oh, like, my it's God. Are light, you serious? It's light blue, and I can't think of what it's called. Are you sure it's not an emerald? Because aren't you March? March Isn't... is not an emerald. Oh, I thought we thought that was like the Irish month. No, it should be. Hold I mean, on, it is, but it's not. We're gonna go Google it. We're gonna do a checker swipe. Aquamarine. Aquamarine. So it's like a really light, light blue. I'd call you Aqua. Sure, that's a hot name. It actually is. That's gonna be my stripper name, Aquamarine. It's just stealing my name. Because <laughs> you're February, it's just amethyst. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm purple. No, May is emerald. Oh, did not know that. I don't know any of the names outside. Wait, July is garnet, isn't it? Or no, ruby. Ruby. January is garnet. Yes. Okay. All right. I know four months now. Good job. Sweet. Okay. So, emerald moves to London, changes her name to Emerald. She's got a lot of money, so she can totally pull that off without seeming like a crazy person. Awesome. So Emerald spent a lot of time climbing the social ladder. She integrated herself with Wallace Simpson, the soon-to-be Duchess of Windsor. So Wallace was dating then-British king Edward VIII, and Wallace was also an American socialite. So Emerald was like, oh, I'm going to be best friends with Wallace. And then when she and Edward get married, I'll like be the lady in waiting. And that would secure her place among British royalty. Yep. However, since Wallace was not a royal and even worse, a divorcee. Yeah, this is like a big thing. Pearls. If anyone has been watching The Crown lately, you'll know who she is. I actually, I didn't know she was in that. I never seen The Crown and now I want to watch we it. We should watch it. Because I, I did a little more reading into this because I want to understand the yeah, context. No, this is like, that's huge, fascinating. Like if we have any British li- listeners, they're like, oh, I know who that is. Wait, okay. Here's the thing. What, was Edward VIII the one who abdicated and then his stuttering brother took over yep. from the king's speech? And okay. then Elizabeth is that brother's daughter. She was never supposed to be queen because. Yeah. Yeah. It's a whole thing. And it's now, 10,000 years later, she's still the queen. She's and her killing it. I think her. I think Charles might die before her. I mean, I'm not Charles wishing is... ill. I just really think he might croak Shh. before her. Oh, her son. Yeah. I yeah. Think so too. Yeah, because he's in his 70s, I think. Why? She's in her 90s. Everyone's so old. <laughs> I just. I mean, Charles' kids aren't that old. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're slightly older than we are. 30s, 40, like late 30s. I have no I was in college when Will and Kate Middleton got married. So yeah, he's probably in his 40s. Yeah. Anyway, Wallace is dating King Edward and Emerald's like, 
hey, let's be best friends so that I can like hang out with you when you're queen. However, since Wallace was not royal and even not worse, Steve say, Edward was forbidden from marrying her. Instead, he abdicated the throne. Yeah. And like while literally giving up your title and your position as king to be with the one you love may sound soups romantic, and it is, Emerald didn't see it that uh, way. A lot of people didn't a see it. A lot of people way. didn't see it that way. So of Edward's abdication, Emerald remarked, How could he do this to me? Oh, Jesus. She's so fucking dramatic and she's very self-centered yeah that's like, pretty bad moving to london and changing her name to emerald is probably the coolest thing she does in that- this whole story we don't have to like her. her mom right yeah so so this is just is this before she was married or at, like after i don't know i'd have to look up okay. the years that everything went down i think it was w- while she was married but before she had the kid mm, i don't know because wasn't that Closer to World War II that Edward was king and abdicated the throne. Check or swipe. He abdicated the throne December 11th, 1936. Okay, so this was long after Nancy is in the picture. Okay. But this is just a story to set you up for the kind yeah, of woman that Emerald is. Yeah, so it's like this Be- is how her mom is. So yeah. Because she, she comes back. So oh. she's a little, just a touch bit selfish. It's just a smidgen. So that's Emerald. And Nancy's family was fucking loaded. Her childhood home was a massive estate in Neville Holt in uh, Leicestershire, England. I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong. I do. I think it might actually be mine. (laughs) Yeah, we'll go. We'll we'll try and claim it for you. Despite what looked like a fairy tale upbringing, Nancy's childhood was an unhappy one. Her parents divorced in 1911 and Nancy moved to London with her mother. Mm. So I don't know if this was like pre or post her being Emerald. It doesn't matter. Whatever. Nancy and her mother didn't spend much time together as Nancy was sent to a variety of boarding schools across England, France and Germany. And through her education, she became fluent in French, Spanish, Italian and German. Wow. All the languages that we like do a heavy sigh before we try to pronounce on this podcast. Sometimes English too. Good job, Nancy. It's hard. So Emerald was seeing a famous writer named George Augustus Moore at the time and he was an important male figure in Nancy's life. It was actually rumored that George was Nancy's true father. (gasps) Scandal. Uh, all the scandal. All the scandal because none of the other rich kids were bastards of someone else. I don't know. It's crazy. Everyone was fucking everyone. That's what I've learned from this book. That's Everyone that's, was that's fucking what rich everyone. That's what rich people do. <laughs> that was like an extracurricular fucking constantly. So it was rumored that this was Nancy's real father. Regardless, that's kind of the role that he took during yeah. her childhood. She was like, very sweet. Good on you, George. Well, Nancy's relationship with George was great. Her relationship with her mother was less so. Hmm. Nancy didn't have a close relationship with her father or mother, so they were too busy with their own pursuits, fox hunting and seducing men, respectively. She was primarily raised by an army of nannies and received little parental affection, attention or care. And this is another theme. Rich kids or rich people do not raise their no, children. No, they don't raise their children. They're not parents. Like maybe today they do, but especially back then. I don't mm. think today they do. Care.com has made it even easier to find a fucking nanny to raise your child for okay. you. Not all rich people. Like if you're rich <laughs> and you're listening to our podcast. Prove us wrong yeah. by donating at the $20 a month level. And, you know, being like, I treat my children okay. I'm challenging you right now. 
So as a teenager, Nancy developed a rebellious streak, which would only as increase over does. time. Yeah, she was a rebellious teen and it never she never grew out of it. She's a little bit of a wild child. <laughs> when Nancy turned 18, Emerald prepare, prepared to present her daughter at that debutante season. Yeah. yeah. So this is like your public coming out as a member of high society and, really and a candidate for fucking. And some <laughs> dude walks you downstairs and they go, this is so-and-so. And then you're in society. She's literally on the market. Come and give me, right, her exactly. father, your best offer for marriage and I will sell my daughter to you. Yeah, that's basically what happened. Yeah. It was clear that Emerald saw her daughter as a tool for her own societal advancement. This combined with the complete lack of maternal affection she received from her mother left Nancy a resentful, if not downright hateful of her mother. I would be. Yeah. As we've learned, Emerald's a little bit of a bitch. <laughs> On one occasion, Nancy was playing a game like truth or dare without the dare. So each player uh, would be at like, so there would be a question and each player would have to answer it truthfully. So uh, on this occasion, each player had to name the person they would most like to see enter the room. Nancy's answer was Lady Cunard dead. Like, Like, I'd like to see her enter the room, but I want her to be fucking dead. Yeah, like, uh, okay, like, is she dead upon entering or does she drop dead in front of you? She probably doesn't care. She probably doesn't care. But, like, I I never even, like, sarcastically or in jest joke about my parents dying because I'm way too scared of it actually happening. And she's just like, I wish my mom was fucking dead. I would love that. Please let her die now. Right. So... On November 15, 1916, Nancy married cricket player and army officer Sidney Fairbairn. Ooh, Fairbairn. That sounds, it sounds yes. like he's fancy. He was wounded while serving in World War I. Uh, while he was a stellar athlete, he wasn't on Nancy's social Ooh. level. And this may have been the point of her marriage to him. She was sticking it to mom. Yeah, exactly. It sounds like Sydney was like a- it's like my last murderer. I was you remember she married because she was like fuck you. Oh mom. yeah, yeah. She's like oh mom, you mom who hates me. You don't want me to marry this guy. I'm marrying fuck this off. guy. Yeah. Whatever Emerald thought of the match, she did gift them a luxurious house in London as a wedding present. And just like the term house in London makes me think luxury because can you imagine how expensive oh, an entire yeah. house in London would be? Because I always just imagine it's like just a collection of unaffordable flats, flats yeah, and I expensive agree. shops and then all the museums I went to because they're free there. It's the only it. thing it in London so that's free. Fun. The education. However, like most marriages that come out of spite, theirs did not last. Nancy and Sydney separated in 1919, only three years into their marriage and officially divorced in 1925. Man, that took a while. Sad side note, Sydney went on to serve in World War II and died oh, while serving. I didn't sad. I didn't learn a lot about him. I read a little bit like he's a stellar cricket player. He didn't seem like a shitty guy and like that just right. bummed me out. I'm like, oh Sydney, sad honey. Day. Nancy referred to the marriage as, quote, a detestable period. She seems she was not into it. She seems it. like she's following her mother's footsteps. Yeah. But she did bounce back quickly. She fell in love with another soldier named Peter. Broughton Adderley. Tragically, he was killed in action less than a month oh, before the end of World War One, and Nancy was devastated, and she never fully recovered Aww. from that loss. So I, I think she really did love him, or yeah. this is going to sound cynical, but maybe she wasn't with him long enough to fall out of in, 
out of love like the with honeymoon him. stage yeah but yeah i mean you're 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 seeing someone you're in love and then they're killed it like that's just yeah just fucking it, awful it's, you live your life wondering what could have been right and it just seems like they were taken from you for such a stupid fucking reason <sighs> all right so Nancy spent her time running with the Cotier, which was known as also known as the corrupt Cotier, fucking edge lords, which was a group of wealthy indiv- intellectuals, which boasted members such as a bunch of people I didn't recognize when I looked at their Wikipedia, but they were all rich and smart and big deals. The membership of the corrupt Cotier had also been devastated by World War One, with many dying while in service because a lot of dudes yeah, of there. Course. Maybe Nancy found comfort in this, considering her own loss. While hanging out with the corrupt Cotier, Nancy contributed a poem she wrote to the anthology Wheels, which was edited by literary aristocrats the Sitwells. These are the ancestors of Stan Sitwell, founder of Sitwell Enterprises and fierce competitor with the Bluth Company. Stan Sitwell notably suffered from alopecia. Arrested Development? Anyone? Seriously, watch seasons one through three and nothing after. The show doesn't I go agree. on. I don't care what no, you've heard. It just it's, ended. It stopped. Seasons one through three. We're all sad there wasn't more, but that's the way it is. Agreed. <laughs> yep. Uh, Nancy met prolific writer Ezra Pound, and the two had an affair, despite the fact that he was married. That's what an affair is. Uh, well, so I feel like sometimes they describe like an affair as just like a sexual tryst. That's true. You know, but yeah, he was deaf, married, and... I, I, like, want to be critical of Nancy because, like, you shouldn't sleep with someone who's in a relationship. But, like, literally, that's what everyone was doing. Right, so it's like, not it like she's the, special. It was the norm. <laughs> yeah. But Ezra was not Nancy's only lover. She also had a relationship with the poet T.S. Eliot. Oh. And the two of them had a cinema-worthy meet-cute. So she was at this gala that her bitch mother Emerald was putting on, and the Prince of Wales was eager to dance with Nancy, but Nancy wasn't into him because she thought the Prince of fucking Wales was boring. So at this point, the Prince of Wales would be Charles, right? I don't know. This was like the 20s. So no. Who was the Prince of Wales before Charles? Hold on. Checker swipe. Edward, Albert, Christian, George, Andrew, Patrick, David. She probably got bored halfway through saying his fucking name. Wow. Who has the time? That's. Here, wait, wait. What does he, he look like? He ended P- put up a becoming, picture up here. He, becoming, he ended up becoming Edward VIII, Duke of Windsor. Wait, no, because that was the Edward VIII that uh, we were just talking really? about. Yeah. His full name was Edward, Albert, Christian, Andrew Patrick David. I think I forgot George in there. We may have fucked up this timeline, but Kelly, if you are correct, then the King Edward who Emerald was like trying to get the American with. That's right, because he abdicated was the, the guy that was flirting with Emerald's daughter, so her daughter yeah, could have been a princess. He, he was the only person right before Because he Charles. was born in 1894, so he would have been around that age. Yeah. That's fucking wild. Okay, well... Whoever the fuck he was, he was boring, apparently. He became Prince of Wales on June 23rd, 1910. And then... That uh, that wouldn't be him then, though. Because this isn't like... he ceased to be Prince of Wales on January 20th, 1936. That's when he became... Oh, that's when he became king. king? Oh, yeah. okay. So, yeah, that, that timeline would check out. We're learning a lot about history today. Yeah, because Charles didn't become King of Wales until 1958. That's fucking wild. So there was no Prince of Wales between 1936 and 1958. That's funny. Okay, so 
Yep. So the the woman yep. that Emerald was trying to get hooked up with Edward. She didn't want Edward herself. He was too boring. No, 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 no. Because no. Edward or the Prince of Wales is into Nancy, the daughter. Oh, that's right. Oh. Okay. But then later, I, th- I, I think this happened later on yeah. Yeah. that Emerald was trying to get Wallace an and Edward gap. together. Like she was supportive of that relationship because right. she was like, oh, well, I'm friends with Wallace, so I'll get fringe benefits. Right. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. But at one a, point, I'm sure if she had a decision. She would be like, no, you're fucking staying with that guy. That's fucking weird. Oh, my God. I didn't put that together. Ew. It just feels gross. All yeah. this feels gross. OK, so apparently Prince of Wales Edward was boring. T.S. Eliot saved her from having to dance with the prince and the two immediately hit it off. And it certainly helped that Nancy was already a fan of T.S. Eliot's poem, saying to him, quote, your words got into my fiber. That's hot. That's a hot sentence. It is. Emerald was not happy with this because her hopes of getting closer to the royals were dashed by someone else's feelings. And apparently this was a theme throughout her life. If anything, she should be mad at Edward because he keeps fucking up her shit by being boring and being in love with someone else. So Nancy was intelligent and drop dead gorgeous. She was described as, quote, lovely enough to seduce a saint, which is definitely going on my Tinder profile. She had many sexual relationships with famous people and was described as, and quote, erotic boa constrictor her whole life is my like what i want my tinder profile to be that just sounds like that doesn't sound like like that sounds like a backhanded compliment like you're erotic but you also like suffocate people well the rest of the quote is like you can almost see the men's legs hanging out of her mouth so yeah she's like consuming men sexually but men weren't her only interest She's a well-rounded human being. Of course. As, Not just a fuck is. machine. Nancy got really into bo- the bohemian flapper scene. So she traded her long blonde hair for this like short stylish bob with little kiss curls framing her face and swapped out long modest skirts for short dresses and added one of those 20s cigarette holders for good measure. So like the Cruella well, DeVille like style. Long, yeah. yeah. Uh, she was also known to wear turbans and adorn her arms with bulky ebony and ivory bangles that would cover her from wrist to her elbows. And so, Kelly, I'm going to show you a famous photo of Nancy that basically encapsulates her whole look. And this is how you can imagine her pretty much for the rest of the story. Oh, wow. That's that's a lot of bracelets. That's uh, Yeah. And, and they're big yeah, and heavy and bulky. Every not day was arm day for this chick. And yeah, like the the dark eyeliner. Like she's and like very the, pretty, but the, the bracelets just kind of... But yeah, she's got such a look. And this is another one of her because she would also wear like the the head wraps. And it looks nice. She's looked super intense. Yeah, she did. So for everyone else, imagine this typical flapper or how everyone dressed for this last New Year's when we all had hope and you've got Nancy. 1920s flapper fashion was a reflection of the liberation women were fighting for and achieving. They were taking more control over their bodies, clothes, and redefining what was acceptable for women to wear. So we look at the flapper dresses today, and we don't see them as particularly scandalous, like considering what we see... But at the time, People they wear, definitely were. Yeah. But when you consider that corsets and dresses that completely covered the body were the norm, they were shocking by comparison. Yeah. Like Same it, with short hair. Yes. Yes. It 
hair has always been a weird thing with women and like even cutting off one's hair is seen as this like oh she's having a mental breakdown right. a it's, la it's Britney. A power yeah a, you know whatever even though it's not because it's just fucking hair and we do what the right, fuck we want back. with it yeah fuck off everyone so nancy really embodied this liberated woman aesthetic in in, in appearance and behavior so looking to forge her own path rather than embrace the heiress lifestyle, Nancy moved to France to join the artist movement there. All right. So while in France, Nancy started her own publishing house called The Hours Press, which published works by heavy heaters like, did I say heavy heaters? Yep. <laughs> it's it's getting to be winter here, and apparently that was a little Freudian slip. Yeah, uh, she's like, I'm cold. Heavy hitters. Like Ezra Pound, but also promoted lesser-known writers like Samuel Beckett, who was lesser-known at the time. Apparently, like, I feel like I know Samuel Beckett, and I have no idea who Ezra Pound is. See, I, I, I've heard of Ezra Pound. I don't think I've read any of his stuff. I've, I've heard of him. Um, and actually, random side note, Samuel Beckett apparently has a poem called uh, Horoscopes, but it's like okay. W-H-O-R-O-S-C-O-P-E-S. And I thought about including it, but I was like, this is already too long. This isn't about him. But right. horror horoscopes. Horoscopes. Yeah, like you're a whore and cool. Your scope. I just I thought that was so funny. It is very interesting. That, that should be an Instagram account where it's just like slutty horoscopes. Nancy wasn't just busy building up artists, but also contributing to their work as a muse. Mm. Appearing as inspiration or the subject in a variety of writings, paintings, and even sculptures. Some of her admirers included Langston Hughes, James Joyce, Aldous Huxley, to the point where Huxley's wife took him to a different country to separate the two. Oh my god, she's Whoa. like a sexual... She is an erotic boa constrictor. Yeah, there you go. She's just eating these men. Uh, William Carlos Williams and more. There's too many for me to name. So I don't think I can overstate how into her everyone was. There were plenty of amazing quotes of these writers and artists describing her. And it's like truly otherworldly. Like like she's being described as almost this otherworldly being like this, of like beauty angel, and intellect. Yeah. And like truly the muse where it's like she's this source of inspiration because she's, just like she's witty. Yeah. She's gorgeous. She's intelligent. Like. She's kind of the whole package, but she's also got her own problems. So there's that. A quote from Harold Acton succinctly describes Nancy. Quote, she had inspired and probably slept with half of the poets and novelists of the 20s. I like that. I do, too. Like, and I bet she was proud of it. She was a very sexually liberated woman. The Roaring Twenties were not without misfortune for Nancy. She underwent a hysterectomy, which almost killed her. No one really knows why she had a hysterectomy, but her mother, Emerald, was dismayed by having her hopes of grandchildren dashed. How could she do this to me? Exactly. How could she almost die from a hysterectomy and deny me to grandchildren to pass on the Q not name? Oh, well, he, she probably doesn't care about passing on the name. That would be more the husband. I, yeah, but she's she's still she's got the yeah, name. Exactly. She's Lady Cunard. She's got the title she's of still Lady. Like, come on. Yeah. While Nancy was trying to reject her heiress status, there was no denying that it made her entry into the Parisian avant-garde scene much easier, and people right. flocked to her due to her status and beauty. And Nancy was all too aware of this, and it made her feel shallow. I mean, yeah. Because she never I mean, knew if people were into her aware. because it was her or because, like, oh, well, you're they Nancy Cunard. Hmm. Yeah. 
to cope, she indulged in sex and alcohol and like, kind of get it. (laughs) However, love would find Nancy in a Venice hotel. While visiting Venice, Nancy spotted Henry Crowder, an African-American jazz musician. She was instantly smitten and that evening summoned him via gondola to her palatial room. Wow, that's... Actually, it was her palazzo, which is literally like a palatial Italian-style home. that's fancy. Yeah. Henry came from humble upbringings, worlds apart from Nancy's, but the two became entranced by each other. However, Italy, like plenty of places at this time, wasn't too keen on interracial couples, and Nancy and Henry would receive dirty looks wherever they went. So Nancy took Henry back to Paris, which was much more accepting. And we've covered a bunch of different women of color who have found Paris as yeah, a safe or haven France during this in time. General, yeah. yeah, so like Josephine Baker and Anna Mae Wong, who you, yeah. you covered both of them, I know they found a refuge in Paris, well, in like France, Josephine and abroad. Was very popular in France. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She was getting these like shitty backup roles in the United States because she was black. And yeah, in they Paris, they're in like, France. you're fucking the tits. Sorry, that came out weird. You are the tits. <laughs> you're not on. literally fucking tits. You know what I'm trying to say. I just like watching her fumble. I feel like there should be a diagram of my sentence broken up to illustrate how I'm not saying like titty fucking right now. Well, now you did, but I understand what you mean. That was for an example. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so like, and it kind of makes me get why Owen Wilson wanted to go back to this time in that movie, movie Midnight in Paris. Right. Not entirely, though, because as a woman, I would have lost a hunt, like 100% lost rights by traveling back in time. Even the 90s, guys, we had fewer rights back then. Henry seemed to be the great love of Nancy's life, but their relationship wasn't immune to Nancy's volatile mute. Did I say moods? Moods. Moods. Her feelings. Her behaviors. Because remember, she's kind of got some issues. issues. She's also indulging in alcohol. Uh, Maybe some drugs are in there. Probably. So Henry was actually seen with bruises, and when asked about it, he said, just bracelet work because remember she's got bracelets like from here to here that's gross to me she's probably, she was probably just like smacking him with her arm yeah like and i just want to take a moment to say that physical abuse is never okay abuse it's never in acceptable form. in any is form not okay. physical mental not okay the gender of the victim or the abuser is 100 percent irrelevant 100%. That's that's Just not saying. okay. PSA so, right there for you. To our to our gentlemen listeners, if you're dating a woman and she's smacking you or like even if it doesn't leave a marker, like that's not okay. It's that's not, not okay. acceptable. Yeah, if she's demeaning you, if she's hitting you, anything. Yeah. It's not okay. We're here for you and we love you and we see you. Men can be victims of domestic of domestic abuse yep. just like women. So There's no doubt that Nancy had a very privileged upbringing. However, while with Henry, her eyes were open to the social issues that affected those who didn't have her wealth and white privilege. That's good. This spurred her to action. She once said, quote, I've always had the feeling that everyone alive can do something worthwhile. Some women go into activism. Some women start a podcast. Who's to say which has more value? (laughs) This is our form of activism. Yeah. So when Henry returned to the United States, Nancy accompanied him, quasing, quasing, quasing. I've had like a glass and a half of wine. This shit's getting real 
causing quite a stir by becoming the first white woman to stay in black Harlem hotels. And I'm pointing this out not because like, oh my God, she was the first white woman to go into traditionally black hotels. Like sometimes we talk about like, oh, this was the first black woman or the first Asian woman to do this or go here or perform here. That's cool. She can go wherever the fuck she wants. She's a rich white lady. Like, that's not the accomplishment. I'm mentioning this because it's reflective of the time that it it was was so so shocking. shocking. People were like, she went into this hotel. Clutching my pearls. It wasn't just her race that made Nancy's association with Henry and appearance in the black community shocking. It was her station. Yeah, I mean, she was like upper, upper crust. Yeah. Probably bottom. Not maybe bottom bottom, but he's well. She's like, running with you know. what society is viewing as the lower class and yeah. hanging out in lower class places. Lower class being code for black. Gross. Right. Minority. Yes. So the press reported on Nancy's relationship with Henry, describing her as this like sex hungry slut lusting after black men. Which like nowadays I'm like, oh shit, I've been called worse. Like <laughs> that doesn't seem like I've been called worse. I don't know, like, sure we're taking too. back the word slut. There's nothing wrong with being into black men. Like, I, yeah. but at the time, that was, like, yeah. a huge, like, smack. So take two drinks for slut shaming and racism. Yay. Oh, Hold on. I need this. Because that piss, th- this of whole part pisses me. me off. Oh, okay. The fervor was so intense that Nancy began receiving hate mail from all over, including letters from the KKK. Although I feel like it's almost a mark, like you're doing the right thing if the KKK hates you. Like the KKK... Hating you is just fine. Yeah, like that's a positive reflection on your character. Yeah. Or maybe it's not. It's just because you're a certain race or religion or whatever and they hate you for no fucking reason. But... In this case, it was a good reflection on her right. character. Not even her character, though, because she's just she's just dating being with someone. She she's not trying to, to make with. a statement. She's just like living her life and falling in love. Anyways, fuck keep the going. KKK. Anyway, some of these letters were actually published into a book, but many were left out. Nancy explained that some of the letters, quote, are so obscene, so this portion of American culture cannot be made public. Wow. Uh, so the societal elite was also abuzz with the news of Nancy's actions. Of course. And this news soon re- reached her mother, Emerald, who's such a fucking delight. Yeah, we all love her, right? So much. In one instance, Emerald was lunching at a fancy restaurant and her societal rival, Lady Oxford. Jesus, I love these I names. Know. Lady Oxford. Lady, Lady Oxford. Cunard. Lady Oxford breezed past Lady Cunard, who was lunching at the Palazzo. I don't know. Uh, and inquired about Nancy, asking, quote, What is it now? Drinks, drugs, or insert horrible racial expletive? You have a great name and you just she fucking just, ruin it by being a like, bitch. You know, a queen. I literally wrote here, Lady Oxford sounds like a bitch. <laughs> That's funny. Though Emerald tried to break up the relationship between Nancy and Henry, she she was unsuccessful. Because fuck you, you, Emerald. Maybe if you actually had a good relationship with your daughter, I mean, like maybe if you were a mother, I hope she would still not listen to you. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, it's like you didn't even act as a mother, and now you feel like you get a say in your adult daughter's life. Fuck off. So this whole thing was the last straw for Emerald. As a final act against her daughter, Emerald cut Nancy. Out of her will. That was a really horrible time for a wide burp. 
leg ass. Like, and honestly, like with these rich societal people, like that's the ultimate thing. Like, fuck you. Right. It's like you're getting none of this money. Nancy responded by writing a wrathful letter against racism and Emerald herself and sent it to her mother. Probably just called her a racist and right. all that because you know, she was. Uh, the two never spoke again. That was it. We're yeah. done. Emerald is gone. I don't know what happened to her after this, but she probably died a miserable fucking woman. The public and private backlash against the interracial relationship eventually became too much. The two split and Nancy returned to Aww. Paris. Yeah. That's that's a, I really wonder what would have happened had there not been all of that craziness. Right. Because Henry was kind of an outlier as far as her relationships go because he lasted so much longer than everyone right. else. Yeah, I do wonder. And it seemed to be like less of a tryst and more of an actual relationship. So I... Yeah, well, you never well know. okay here, here okay i'm sorry let me back up here nancy was also like hurting him and smacking him around yeah, which so is not okay th- so there's also that element there there's also that abuse so maybe henry like fucking was like i'm not fucking putting up with I'm this out. shit anymore Mm-mm, fuck it you don't get to be shitty to me anymore either way n- they split nancy went back to paris even after the breakup nancy kept her disgust for the inequality she had witnessed while he- while with Henry, and became a fierce advocate for justice. Good. Nancy wrote against Mussolini and wrote of the horrors of the Spanish Civil War and against fascism in general. Good. She wrote that the, quote, events in Spain were a prelude to another world war. And remember, this is the 1930s, so girl ain't wrong. (laughs) She saw it coming. I feel like a lot of people saw that shit coming, and that's sad. She traveled to Spain and witnessed the horrors of the Spanish Civil War firsthand and wrote of the refugee crisis. So at this time, Spain was having a civil war. A lot of these refugees were coming to France, uh, where she had been staying. This sparked fundraising efforts and uh, support of refugee relief. So Nancy didn't just write about what was happening in Spain. She actively worked to support those affected. She delivered supplies, established a refugee shelter, and organized relief efforts herself. Though Nancy came from opulent surroundings, remember she's growing up on this gorgeous estate in England, she stayed in the same camps as other relief workers. Over time, however, Nancy's health deteriorated from all the work she was doing, and she was forced to return to Paris. But she wasn't done. Nancy was commonly seen roaming the streets of Paris collecting funds for refugees. Because remember, she doesn't have fucking money anymore. Right. But it's cool that she's, like, doing this for other people. Right. She's not doing it for herself. Right. Like, this is a cause she really believed in. She's seeing these people suffering. And she's like, ah, we can't just fucking, you know, not my problem. Exactly. During World War II, which Nancy was obviously not surprised by, she worked as a translator in London on behalf of the French resistance. Yeah, yeah, because she has all those languages. Yeah, she's fluent in everything. She's putting it to good use. Yeah. And uh, I read that she did this to the point of physical exhaustion. So I think she's just going around translating and like doing the good hustle so much. And she's already, her health is deteriorating partially from all of the work she's doing living in shitty conditions but also she's an alcoholic and that catches up with you yeah it does so um her health continued to decline and the already slender woman began losing weight oh no this coupled with her alcoholism and diminishing mental health eventually culminated in a london bender during which she got into a fight with the london police wow don't want to do that 
This led to her being institutionalized in a mental hospital for a period. Nancy uh, had spent her money on her publishing efforts, travel, and booze. She was destitute at this point, and with none of the family money, that wasn't going to change. It's not like she'd go, like, she wasn't going to go get a nine-to-five job or something. Nancy's body was found passed out on the streets of Paris. She weighed less than 60 pounds and was rushed to a hospital. She died two days later on March 17, 1965, at only 69 years old which is exactly 26 years and one day before Kelly's birthday. Right? Yay, Did I get that right? Sad death, yes. Yeah. One of her last words were allegedly champagne. So, like, the person who heard this thought she was, like, saying pain because she was having a hard time speaking, then just like, pain, champagne. Like, oh, my God, Nancy. Jesus. No. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe. I don't know. No, I'm saying no champagne. Well, no, and I'm saying, hey, f- like you're, yeah, dying. you're dying. Why yeah, the hell not? not? Uh, so she was buried at Paris Lachaise Cemetery, which is the largest cemetery in Paris, and also the largest cemetery in Paris, of the pronunciation of which I have butchered. The Evening Standard wrote of her death as, quote, the sad, lonely farewell to a toast of the 20s. That's sad and That's a true. bummer. Well, she was, she was the it girl of the 20s. Yeah, exactly. She was the it then, flapper girl of the Gilded Age. Yeah, she like, started doing stuff. Her popularity declined. Yeah. yeah it's sad. Probably Legacy. also once she lost inheritance. Yeah. Legacy. Nancy was a complex figure who, while writing her own works, inspired much of the writing and art of the 1920s. Her life was messy, despite her privileged upbringing. She struck me as this cultural icon that, despite being hugely influential, has largely been forgotten, especially once she became engaged in political activism, just like you mentioned. And it made me feel really good that you said that, because I'm like, this is just kind of my takeaway from everything. No, I 100... Like, the second she lost her inheritance and started like actually doing things people were like no i don't want anything to do with you yeah and it's i i don't know and that's one of the reasons that she interests me from that book because a lot of these women you know they're just rich white people well well she was white too and she's rich no but you know she became not rich and she actually like did stuff but it to me like yeah she tried to do stuff it wasn't just like this tragedy of being wealthy yeah it was, it, there was so much more. Her relationship with the, her mother was hugely complex. Yeah. And her mother was a bitch. Her mother was a bitch. <laughs> but that is the story of Nancy Cunard. Yay. All right. Well, Kelly, what are you thankful for? What am I thankful for? Thankful you weren't born an heiress after this fucking story? I'm thankful I wasn't born in the 1920s. Oh, um, that too. No, I'm thankful. You could have been amused. Um, obviously, it's been a really stressful week. This is actually going to come out a while after November sixth, right? No, oh, geez, this is this is the video episode. This will come out the twenty fifth. Okay, well, where we are in the past right now, very stressful, ignorant, maybe blissfully so. We're stressed out. Let's hope not. Also, this is a really good opportunity to say that all of our patrons get access to this content early. So if you're listening to this on audio and you're like, oh, yeah, I want it so early. the 25th is when it's going to release for the patrons. And then it will be released on, on the 30th, 30th for, for audio. We love you all equally, though, but our patrons hold a special place in our heart. They do. Which they've dug in with their money. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm thankful. 
I guess, like, for my husband and some of my coworkers that have just been kind of a rock in this weird and tumultuous week that it's been. For the coworkers who aren't included in the sum, you know who you are. Probably. <laughs> I'm just being a total bitch about it, and there's no reason. Well, it's just because we have differing views, and they're very one side, and I'm very the other. And so, honestly, I haven't really talked to them this week, and it's weird because they usually, like, talk to me, and I'm just like, you know what? We're both in our own little bubbles of worry, and I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah. Sometimes we all need space to just feel our feelings, and that's okay. Exactly. What are you thankful for? Um, I am thankful. So I had a I had a meeting with a client uh, who runs a catering company today, and they're, they're very sweet. They've been really wonderful to work with. And so I met them at their location and uh they sent me home with some snacks Yay. and like and like their whole thing is well it's all at home i haven't even Rich. had any <laughs> i brought you wine damn it but uh so that was a nice little treat like i actually i did get wine once as a like a tip from a client so i helped them with something that I felt was extremely minuscule that I like feel like I didn't actually do anything. And they literally sent me a bottle of wine and I thought it was actually for my boss. I was like, I don't know why my name is on this. I've never had anything sent to my office before. Like what is going on? uh... So I waited a day for my boss to come in and be like, did you order this? He goes, well, it has your name on it. It's clearly for you. I'm like, but why? And then I opened it and then there's like the thank you note in there. I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) Oh, it is for me. But yeah, some, you know. As far and few between as they are there, it's you nice. know, getting a little snack and wine tips are really nice. So that that was like a nice little Yeah, a little customer thing. appreciation. Yeah, so. Well, that's good. Everyone All needs right. snacks. Everyone needs snacks, especially and right wine. now. You know, even when this episode comes out, we probably all need snacks, snacks and, and we're wine. probably all stressed, so. It's perpetual. <sighs> well. Thank you, everyone, so much for joining us for another episode of Whining About Herstory. Please like us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory, Instagram at WAHpod. Twitter at WAH underscore pod. Our email is whiningaboutherstory.com. And we have a website. No, our website is whiningaboutherstory.com. And our email is whiningaboutherstory at gmail.com, where we would love to hear from you. As we've mentioned multiple times in this video, we have a Patreon where you can just search Whining About Herstory and you'll find us. We also have a Teespring if you want some sweet, sweet merch we just had a merch shoot and those pics are gonna be lit y'all Emily's apparently a hula dancer I'm super happy I'm excited the wine like really hit me and I'm like yeah I'm like (laughs) pizza pizza (laughs) pizza and hojo (laughs) all right and also please rate us five stars wherever you listen it is the easiest and freest way to help us out all yeah. right. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Wine About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And you have an empowered day. Bye. Bye.